I want to set a scene for you. I want to paint a picture. And this is something probably we're all going to go through in the sense of, hey, Sunday's going to be over. We're going to go home and we're going to maybe watch some football. We're going to get together with some family. We're going to enjoy some time together. Maybe our team wins. And, you know, we, we, we get an early night, uh, go to bed, and we relax. And we wake up Monday morning, and we, we recognize what Monday morning means. There's a new week, right? And we got a lot of things coming up during this week. And we're, we're believing it's going to be an awesome week. It's going to be an amazing Monday morning. And so you do your normal rhythms. You wake up Monday, the first thing most of us do is like, let's get to the coffee pot, right? Let's just brew some coffee, get around. Maybe we're making kids some breakfast. Maybe we're getting around for school or whatever it is, your Monday morning rhythm. And then all of a sudden, as you're doing that Monday morning rhythm, you hear this sound. Now, if you're smart enough to own an iPhone, you know exactly what that sound is. You just got a text message. And, you know, like pretty much all of us, when we get a text message, what do we do? We like run to our phone. Like, what could it be? What is it? Right? I can't imagine a world where I would leave my text message more than five minutes. And so we go to our phone and we read that text message. Three simple words. Can we talk? And just those three words, your stomach drops. Because you know that your spouse, your coworker, your boss, your boyfriend, your girlfriend wouldn't send that text message unless it was serious. Unless maybe something was wrong. And so you just constantly think about that text message all day long. You wonder what it could be. You, you, your mind goes to places it probably shouldn't go to. You sit there and you dread the moment where you have to have that conversation. And I've always wondered which is worse, to receive that text message and know that someone wants to talk to you or to send that text message knowing you're going to have to have that conversation. Because we've, we've all been there in our relationships where there has been some, forward of, some form of conflict and, and we have to handle it. We have to talk about it. You see, we've been in this series called My Relationships are falling apart. And I bet for the vast majority of us, we can look at our relationships and, and want them to be better, wonder why they're not thriving. And maybe it's because we've tried relationships our way. And maybe we should try God's way. And in week one, we talked about, we have to have the right relationships in our life, personal relationships where we can have trusted friends that go beyond the surface, where we can talk about things in life that actually matter, things we're going through. Last week, we, we started a conversation on conflict, that all relationships have conflict, and how we navigate that conflict will, will ultimately determine how healthy and how successful our relationships are. And today, we're going to continue. This is part two of the conflict talk. And as we study the Bible, as we read God's word, here's what we're, we're going to understand, that the Bible teaches us the priority of living at peace in our relationships. That finding and achieving and aiming for peace in your relationships is something that God desires for you in every relationship that you have. In fact, I'm going to show you this in multiple places in Scripture, but we're going to zoom into one place. It's Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul here is the author. He's speaking to the church in Rome. And look what he says here. He says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you... Live at peace 
with everyone. Now, for a second, let's just pause. Let's leave that verse on the screen, and I want you to read it. It's simple. The meaning is clear. But take it in. Interpret for yourself. Paul says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, let's take a moment and and, and kind of dive in. Let's break this verse apart phrase by phrase. The first phrase that Paul says is, if it's possible. Now, this is really important because Paul, what he does is he gives us a caveat. He says, there will be times, rare, albeit, there are times, rare, that you might be in a relationship where peace is impossible. Or you've tried, and you've tried, and you've tried to uh, obtain peace, find peace, and it's just not working. And so Paul says, if it's possible for you. Now, I want to pause here because I think many of us use the crutch of the caveat to not work hard at achieving peace. We use it as an excuse not to work hard in our relationships. Paul says, if it's possible, there are rare occasions where it's not possible. That's why Paul said that. The second thing he says, he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you. See, I love this line. Because what Paul does is he says peace, the responsibility of peace, the onus of peace is on your shoulders. It's almost as if what James said last week, right? James 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Isn't it your selfish desire, your desire that you want so bad you're willing to fight? Paul says the same thing. If you want peace, that responsibility isn't on their shoulders. It's on you. As far as it depends on you. Because here's what Paul knows. Here's what you know. And here's what I know. You can't control how somebody else responds. You can't control how someone treats you. You can't control the way people speak to you, how, you na- how they navigate conflict. But what you can control is how you respond. You can control the words that you use, the anger that you allow to rage in your heart. You can control that. And Paul says, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So what is peace? And what's interesting about this verse is is the the original language, the word for peace often used is the word shalom. In fact, one of God's names, Jehovah Shalom, is peace, right? The God who gives peace. God grants us peace. But what's interesting is you you study this passage, it's not the word shalom, it's the the word irenae. And irenae means to be one. It means a state of rest quietness. It's as if Paul is teaching us in our relationships that we, in our relationships, we should have a a place of rest. Uh, Our relationships should be defined by quietness, calmness, that we would be one. So what does it mean to have peace, to live at peace? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. Peace doesn't mean uniformity. You see, we, we, we've bought the lie that culture teaches us that we can't have peace if we disagree. Paul isn't telling you that. Paul is actually saying you can live at peace with people who see things differently than you. When, when conflict comes up in your relationships, you don't always have to agree on that to find peace. Even though our culture tells us we have to get in line, we have to align with the agenda and, and follow it like good people, Paul's not saying we have to become spiritual robots who believe the same things. No, he's saying you can have peace even if you see things differently. But what peace means is that when conflict comes, we don't escalate it. 
Peace means that, that, that we don't respond in a sinful or a wrong, wrong way. Peace means that we will fight for restoration. We will fight for unity. And ultimately, we will fight for the relationship. To live at peace. But what Paul says is you can have peace with everyone. Whew, that takes it to a whole other level. Because it's easy to have peace with the people that I get along with, the people that I see eye to eye, the people where I really don't have a lot of conflict. But Paul says you should be able to have peace with everyone and anyone. That includes the spouse that divorced you. That includes the coworker that has it out for you. That includes the boyfriend or girlfriend who cheated on you. Your neighbor who just hates you. Someone who has political views different than you. We can have peace in all of those relationships. In fact, Paul's not the only person to say this. Right? The Bible repeats this over and over again. Hebrews chapter 12 almost says it verbatim. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Because holiness, without it, no one will see the Lord. So Hebrews chapter 12 just says the exact same thing that Paul said to the church in Rome. And if you want to see a practical side of peace, Matthew chapter 5, look at this. It says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come offer your gift. Right? This is the practical side of peace. Right? In this culture, they would bring altars or they would bring gifts to the altar to offer to God out of worship, out of adoration to God. And, and Matthew teaches the, the followers of God in, in this day and age and in our day and age, where, hey, have you got something wrong with a brother or a sister, not blood related, brother and sister in Christ, family of God? If you got something wrong and there's conflict in a relationship, leave your worship on the table. Go find peace. And then you can give God your gift. And what the Bible teaches us over and over again is peace in our relationships is a priority to God. It matters to God that we would have peace as Christ followers in all of our relationships. Here's what's hard about that. I bet you every single one of us could think about a relationship in our life right now where we don't have peace, where things are a little unsettled, where there's still conflict that hasn't been resolved. And the question is, okay, I, I'm on board, Drew. Like, yes, I want, I, who doesn't want peace in the relationships? The, the million dollar question is, how do we get it? How do we find that peace? Or maybe a better question is, what is getting in the way of the peace in our relationships? What's the stumbling block? And I actually think the answer is simple. I think one of the greatest deterrents to peace in our relationships is communication. Right? What I believe is peace in our relationship is often found through healthy and biblical communication. But that's hard. Because who wants to send that text message? Who wants to get that text message? Can we talk? It's a lot easier just to ignore the problem. It's a lot easier just to just, just think about something else, not communicate. And so why don't we? Why is communication so hard? Well, I think we believe two lies. Two lies that get in the way of healthy biblical conversation. The first lie is this, that it's easier to ignore problems than it is to solve them. We've all bought this lie before. We all lived out this lie before. 
Because we know it's just so much easier to just sweep the problems under the rug. If you can't see them, they can't hurt you. We've all done this before. And honestly, there's a lot of truth to this lie. It is easier. It's easier to ignore ignore your problems than it is to have those hard conversations. But the reality of this lie is it's also way more costly. You can sweep your problems under the rug, but eventually your problems will find you and they will cost you more than you wanted to pay. The second lie we believe is it's easier to wait until problems are big before we need to worry about them. Can I be honest, in ministry, I see this all the time. In counseling, we see this all the time. Is we have, as, as people, just naturally say, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal in my marriage. It's not that big of a deal in, in my workplace. It's not that big of a deal in my friendships, in my dating relationship. And what we do is we allow not that big of a deal to linger, to hang around. Rather than addressing something small, we like to wait until it's a monster, it's a giant, and then it's too late. Because we've convinced ourselves it's really not that big of a deal. But if you let it hang around long enough, it will become a big deal. And I'll be real with you, I get all these lies. Because in my line of work, in my job, I teach God's word, I study God's word, but one of my primary jobs is I have to deal and navigate conflict. Right? In, in, in our church's stuff and in, in our staff stuff, right? Like I have difficult conversations a lot in my role, in my job. And the last thing that I want to do after a long day of having hard conversations is come home and have another one with my kids or my wife. So it's just easier for me to be like, hey, let's just pretend this didn't happen. Let's just pretend that like everything's okay. Like let's just put our smiley faces on because it's easier. What's hard is to have the conversation. What's hard is to actually confront people about the issues and the conflict that is there. And so how do we do that? How do we do that God's way? How do I handle my conflict? How do I go to somebody and talk about it? Well, I think the first step in that journey is the the one we miss the most. Because when it comes to confronting somebody, the first person you need to confront is yourself. I know, you probably didn't sign up for that today, but the truth is, is before you ever tell anybody else what they did wrong, you first need to look in the mirror and see what you did wrong. Any amens there? <laughs> right, that's just, just the truth, and we don't like to do it, right? That's why we, we fight for our selfish desires, James says, but the reality is, is we gotta look in the mirror and ask some ourselves tough questions. In fact, this is what the Bible says in Matthew chapter seven. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let's take the speck out of your eye when all all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Listen to these words, you hypocrite. First, the first thing you do is take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The first step we take in in, in having hard conversations is we have them with ourselves. You know, my southern dad used to do a lot of counseling. He would talk to a lot of people. And he, he said this to me all the time. He said, Drew, when there's conflict, there's always two sides to that conflict. And somewhere in the middle is the truth. And I found that to be true. We always see things from our side. We often never see somebody else's point of view. And therefore, we think we never do anything wrong. 
And so we have to confront ourselves. And even if you get to the place where you feel like you've done absolutely nothing wrong, ask yourself these questions. What did I say that could have been misinterpreted and been hurtful to somebody else? How did my body language come across that someone might have saw not the right way? And if you still feel good after those two questions, go to God. God, reveal to me. I love David's prayer. God, search me and know my my, my ways and, and show me the ways that don't align with yours. And so the first person we need to confront is ourselves. Then that leads us to the place where we have to have the conversation with that person. And this is really important and this is really nuanced. Because in the Bible, it teaches us in Matthew chapter 18, when someone sins against you, it gives you kind of a guide of how to handle those situations. And the first step in Matthew 18 is when someone, you have conflict with someone, someone sins against you, you go to that person. So I would say 95% of the time when you have conflict with someone, you should have a conversation with that person. But there are nuances. One of the greatest questions I'm asked when there's conflict is, am I allowed before I go to that person to seek wise counsel? Am I able to go and and, and get, get some advice before I have that conversation? And I would say, yes, there is room for that. But I would warn you greatly because what often starts as wise counsel quickly slips into gossip. And when you are getting wise counsel from three, four, five, six people, you're not getting wise counsel anymore. You're gossiping about the situation. So you need to be very, very careful. Another circumstance that we have to be careful with is the intention of Matthew chapter 18. You see, there are times where it is not wise to go have a conversation with the person you're in conflict with. If you're being abused by someone, If someone is constantly hurting you, neglecting you, misusing you, I don't believe Matthew 18 is teaching you to go back to your abuser. What I think the scriptures teaches is what wisdom would say is go find help, a safe place where you can navigate that conflict in a safe manner. But 95% of the time, we have to stop avoiding the conversation and we need to have it with that person. But how do we do that? And what's important as we do that. You see, there's a couple things you need to consider before you have the conversation. The first one is the timing of that conversation, right? When you have that conversation and how you have that conversation is really important, right? You shouldn't have that conversation in public where other people can hear. You shouldn't have that conversation where your kids are around. You shouldn't have it after a stressful day or when you're tired. It's okay to get a good night's sleep before you have that conversation. You shouldn't do it over text message or an email. You should do it face to face. The timing is important. The second is your tone is important. The tone in which you speak to the other person is significant. That's why it's important not to have that, 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 that conversation over email or text message because I don't care how many emojis you use, people don't know your tone when you're texting or they can misread it. So how you speak is very important. One thing we say at Northridge Church a lot is approach trumps content. And what we mean by that is you can say all the right things and say them in a poor manner, and no one hears the right things you're saying. They see your attitude and how you're saying it. And so speak with grace. Speak with gentleness and kindness, but tell the truth. 
fact, look at the principles the Bible teaches us. Proverbs 15, it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Same chapter, verse 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one who is patient calms a quarrel. We just went through the book of Colossians this summer. Look what it says. It says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You see, timing matters, tone matters, but most important, before you ever have that conversation, you need to pray before you go. This is one of the greatest steps you will ever take with hard conversations, is just ask God for his help. How many of us, we miss this? We rush into a difficult conversation and we leave God in the background. If you wanna speak with grace, if you wanna do it the right way, how could you do it without your savior that you're dependent on? So many of us, the greatest thing we can do, forget timing and forget tone, God can take care of those things if you just ask him for help. God, I'm gonna have a difficult conversation. Would you lead me? Would you be present with me? Would your spirit's voice be loudest in my heart right now? And you would be amazed when you take God into the conversation how much the conversation changes. Now let me give you a warning. When you pray before you go, please do not pray this prayer. God, please change their heart. God, please let them see things the way I see. Right, that's what we want. But God, God soften my heart so that I can have this conversation. And that ultimately leads us to having the conversation. Sitting down with someone and walking through the conflict. But many of us ask the question, okay, Drew, I'm all for having the conversation. I just, I don't know how to have the conversation. I don't even know where to go or where to start or where to, to lead to. And let me just give you a four-step process into having the conversation. The first step is to observe, right? And in this this step, this first step, here's the question we're trying to answer. What took place? What is the conflict about? Here in this first place, we're just stating the facts of the situation. We are, we are saying, hey, what did you see? And what did I see? And in this first step, what we're doing is we're, we're gonna name the problem. We're gonna name the conflict. And let me warn you, when you name the conflict or, or the problem, it's not time to bring other problems into the scenario problems from your past, talk about one problem. Because if you bring more into the equation, it's just gonna get messy from there. The second is interpret. The question we're trying to answer here is, how did this impact you? This is your chance in the conversation to express to the other person how you felt. When, when you said this, this is how I took it, and this is how it felt. This is how it impacted me. And in this segment of interpret, you got to be honest. You don't hold truth back. You say it graciously. You say it gently. But you tell all the truth and how you really felt. The third step is to clarify, right? Are we in agreement? Right? Do we agree that this is the conflict that we're facing? This is the thing we're trying to navigate through. We name the problem and we agree that this is the problem. And then fourth. We seek a path forward. We ask the question, how can we have peace? And in this segment, together you brainstorm, hey, here's how we overcome this conflict. Here's how we not only overcome it, but here's how we don't come back to it. What are the best ways for us to find peace 
together. Right? This is really hard stuff because conflict, sometimes it feels like it's everywhere. And I, I would bet that all of us probably have a relationship right now that maybe we need to have a conversation with that person. Right? We, we, we all have conflict in our lives and how we handle it is really important. And that's why we have to remember Paul's words. He says, if it's possible, is it possible for that relationship? As far as it depends on you and me and your actions and your response, that you would get to a place where you could live in peace. You know, I read this verse, I think about Jesus and how he modeled this for us. Because when you think about our life and our conflict, we had conflict with God and it was our doing. We chose to rebel against God. We brought sin into the equation and what that did is it separated us from God and, and there was nothing that we could do, no amount of forgiveness that we could ask to fix the chasm between us and God. And yet as far as it depended on God, what did he do? He sent his one and only son to die a, a brutal death on a cross, to defeat death and raise three days later. Why? Why would God do that? So that we could have peace with him. So that through Jesus' work on that cross, if I would choose, if you would choose to believe in it, surrender to it, that, that a chasm would be closed, that we could get back to God through Jesus, we could have our relationship restored. You see, Jesus is the model. He's the model for our relationships. And if you don't have peace with someone today, remember Christ made a way for you to have peace with him. And if he did that, you can do the same for someone else. As far as it depends on you, if it's possible, live at peace. Let's pray together. Father, I'll be honest, it's really easy to preach this message on a stage. But to live it, to wrestle through the relationships that I know personally that are not settled. There's not peace. God, I pray for every one of us today that we wouldn't just walk out of these doors saying, oh, that was good. But we'd actually do the things that you want us to do, that your word would come alive into our hearts and that we would live the scriptures, God, that we wouldn't be fine not living at peace, but that we would do whatever we need to do in our relationships to live at peace. We need your help in that. In Jesus' name.